Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you love to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, you'll love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool top-rated hotels. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can still book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. It's easy. Book hotels in just 10 seconds with three taps and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app now and start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app that you need. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRigger.com and joining me on the other line, his definition of peak TV is Aaron Nola. It's Andy Greenwald! Yo, that is must-watch. That is must-watch. <laughs> yeah. I was prepared to just laugh it up with you, but... Um, your, your boy, Warren you Littlefield, about, needs to dial that up. We should talk about the Phillies' one true ace, but that this might not be the podcast for it. it I don't remember anymore. It isn't. Greenwald, we've got you today, we've got you Monday, and then you disappear off to pilot land, and we'll have a series of co-hosts joining us over the next couple of weeks, but you'll be back, obviously. I, and we, we, I, I still think... Uh-huh. I'd like to like maybe send you some voice memos from beyond. I would love that. And then also, I think, you know, I don't know how this was received when I ran it up the flagpole, but I thought a bewitched situation where you just replace me and call me Andy and just see how it goes <laughs> would be fine. Call me by your Andy? Like like the ants on uh, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know? There was just another one one day and everyone was calling her by the same name and everybody moved on. By that same token, couldn't you just replace me with Rosario Dawson? No. <laughs> Contractually, she's not allowed to do that. That's not been discussed ever. Okay. Uh, today, we are going to talk a little bit about this stuff happening with the James Bond franchise, which I kind of find fascinating because I find that every three months, you and I have the exact same conversation, but it's just about a different movie. And uh, I also want to talk a little bit about a film coming out next summer that I'm really excited about. And we'll just discuss quickly the third episode of season four of uh, Better Call Saul. Better call Saul. And then we got some mailbox questions. Uh, so fun little Thursday pod. Let's get right into it, uh, Andy. Any, and do you want to just get any opening notes you want to? Oh, I've been asking Andy this. And, you know, I don't find this very funny, but I, you know, it's not like I, I find it very funny, but I, okay. I, their, their crimes are not funny. But I just want to say, Andy, do you think you're a Manafort or a Cohen? Look, I, I, I'm so flattered that you're even asking this question in a public or private forum, because there's some things that I think are just obvious. Like when I got to Albuquerque, someone else on the on the team here was like, there's a great rock climbing gym. You want to go this weekend? And I was like, mostly just flattered. Like, you think I would climb rocks? <laughs> like, that's that's not the vibe I usually give off. So right. I'm pretty, you know, obviously, even religious implications aside, obviously, I am pure Cohen. You seem just like the kind of guy who has a taxi medallion. Listen, it's not just that. I just feel that were I squeezed in an uncomfortable legal way. You're a flipping motherfucker, aren't you? Yo, have you, like, just for real, like, do you know when you take, like, a beautiful fresh trout out of the river and you put it down (laughs) on, like, some sort of wooden, I don't know whether it's like uh, like some sort of dock or maybe your boat. What does the trout do? It, like um, It jumps, isn't it jump up in the air? Or is that salmon? It, flip, it, it flips around a lot, my man. And I'm just saying that's my go-to move. That would be 
within they wouldn't even have the cuffs on me and i would start saying your name yeah the okay. uh, the attorney general for the southern southern district of new york would come into a room with you mm-hmm. and he would be like in the process of opening his mouth to offer you a glass of water he'd be like what do you want to know what can i tell Dude, you i hear the opening bum bum from law and order and i just start shouting out wild shit like just secrets people told me uh, like you you should not trust me now you on the other hand uh-huh. what are you i'm a cohen I'm a Cohen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, I'm a city you know guy. How to be, you know how to be flexible in certain situations. And when I say a city guy, I don't mean Kiev. <laughs> Political humor today. Never uh, let's go before we get uh, before we get shut down. I want to talk a little bit about this James Bond thing, because this is a movie yeah. that got shut down uh, today. Not technically. I think that they're still rolling with pre-production. But as pe- people may have noticed if they read uh, the trades today, Danny Boyle has left Bond 25, as it is known. Um, and by all accounts, it was a, a statement released by Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, the producers. And crucially, Daniel Craig also uh, had his name in this statement, which was that we've decided to part ways with uh, Danny Boyle over creative differences. And of course, in the next couple of days, uh, there was a lot of speculation about why this happened and what the case could be. I'll give you a little context. Uh, a little while back, Daniel Craig agrees to come back to do Bond for a rumored, I think, $25 million paycheck after doing the very successful uh, Casino Royale, Quantum Solace, uh, Skyfall, and Spectre, although I would say Spectre is probably the worst of those. And he and the producers apparently really wanted to get a fresh voice involved in the franchise, and they targeted Danny Boyle, and they went after him, and by all accounts, had said to him, like, what's it going to take to get you to do this? And he was like, well, I got to finish this TV show I'm working on. They were like, no, no problem. And then he was like, I'd like to write the script with John Hodge, with whom I've, I've collaborated many times, Train Spotting, many other films. Fine, great, incredible, awesome. And uh, they did the script. They're three months away from shooting. They had shelved another script by Robert Wade and Neil Purvis, who have written the last, I think, six Bond movies, to do this Danny Boyle, John Hodge script. They're ready to rock, and they, they part ways in, in what is basically a Groundhog Day of these other franchises, whether it's Solo, whether it's some of these other Star Wars movies, a bunch of these situations, Colin Trevorrow on Star Wars, where you kind of get down the line a little bit in the courtship process, and then the the very thing that you wanted, which was a unique perspective, is the thing that turns you off. And now there's stuff coming out that Danny Boyle and Daniel Craig may have disagreed on the casting of the villain in the movie, and apparently Danny Boyle wanted to uh, cast this guy, Tomasz Kot, who is a... I believe a, a Czech actor or pop, possibly Polish, but he he's in this movie Cold War that's coming out soon, and uh, he's Polish, and uh, and you know he's he's apparently remarkable in this this film that's coming out, but is not very well known, and I, I have no idea whether or not Daniel Craig didn't think he was big enough or didn't like the actor or whatever, and then there's also this stuff that in the script, apparently this was like updating Bond for the Me Too era, and it had like oh, Russian boy. hacking involved, and it was very contemporary. And it turns out that uh, the James Bond franchise, surprise, surprise, is a little bit more conservative than we thought. Danny Boyle is such a Manafort. Oh, my God. Look, this is, you've nailed it. I mean, everybody says they want to be new and edgy and reinvent things, but they don't really. You know, you can't, you can't do that on the fly. You can't simultaneously be conservative and stodgy and um, comfortable and also change. It, 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 that just doesn't ever work. It's a recipe for disaster. And 
the deeper thing here, and I know I know this, I know that people who are much more bond obsessive than I am know that the, the Broccoli family and Wilson, like they control this very tightly. Obviously, this is their life's work at this point. It's not like they're going to just call up Kevin Feige and ask him to take over or Kathleen Kennedy or do what some of these other, you know, it, it, we're not in a George Lucas letting someone else, you know, for a billion dollars take over his life's work situation here. This is what they do and they're not going to let go. And of course, they're very, as people who have become very successful and have been doing something for a long time, they're very mindful and careful about the choices they make. But I don't understand why they're making this movie. I don't. I mean, Daniel Craig has had his time. He seemed very eager to leave, but 25 million reasons why he didn't leave, why he shouldn't leave later. He's still there. Um, Wasn't it just a week ago when Idris Elba was flirting with the internet, pretending he was going to be the next James Bond? It's like, put up or shut up, you know, like, let's either try this again and try something new or let's not. And I don't even say this as someone who thinks Danny Boyle should be spending his time making a Bond movie. But if he were to be spending his time making a Bond movie, I would much rather be about updating Bond yet again and casting an interesting young actor and having Idris Elba play the main role. You you just can't split the difference and make both movies at the same time as everyone's learning. Look, the last Bond movie, which was not very warmly regarded. It was terrible. It made $880 million around the world. Okay, (laughs) what do I know? So... This is going to keep happening because these franchises are talking about profit margins so large, upwards of a billion dollars, upwards of however many hundreds of millions of dollars that they're talking about, that they may win the day with a conversation about wouldn't it be cool if the director of A Life Less Ordinary directed a Bond movie? But at the end of that day, they got to get somebody who's going to make the exact same thing that they are so well known for. And I think that more and more, I would encourage, I mean, not that anybody gives a shit what I think, but I would encourage people to look at Mission Impossible Fallout as like the best of both worlds, where it's like you have somebody like Macquarie who plays within the formal limitations of that series and works with this star in a very harmonious way and and figures out the best way to use that star and, and still finds ways to express himself. And I think that that would have been the ideal here for Bond. But Bond is not like, let's have a wildly new take on Bond. I think that that is something that you and I want and maybe something that some other people out there who are like longtime Bond watchers but would be up for something kind of zany want. But for the most part, people just like, this is going to be one of like six movies they see in a year. And they don't really want it to be like a jittery, digitally shot movie that's a treatise on Me Too. And I, I think that sucks because I think that would be amazing to see. But that's the reality, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's worth, I think the Macquarie point is the really good one here. Um, a couple of years ago when we were talking about the success of the Marvel movies and uh, in particular, we were pointing to how the Russo brothers were you know, to some, when they were named the directors of of uh, Winter Soldier, they seemed like a left field choice. But actually, they were brilliant. There was a brilliant decision because these guys work within the confines of television, which was a better fit for the way Marvel makes movies than auteurist filmmakers would ever be. I think it's worth updating that conversation now um, to consider how Macquarie works. And I, I probably said this before. I'll say it again. His interview on uh, Sean Fantasy's podcast, The Big Picture, is just incredible. I wish it was three times as long. I love listening to them talk. And particularly, I loved hearing how Macquarie approaches things. And I have to say, it is from the place of a working writer, which is to say that when he sees a set of circumstances, exactly, it's problem solving. 
And it's not even that he looks at them like problems anymore. So with Mission Impossible, it's what do we, how do we top the last one? How do we service Tom Cruise having final cut and wanting to basically come close to suicide every movie in terms of special effects? How do we make the same thing again, but new? And he doesn't think of it with a negative attitude of this is a problem. He thinks of it as an opportunity. And, you know, you hire Danny Boyle, who is an Academy Award honored director who's been making movies for years. And when he's brought onto a project, you're buying the Danny Boyle vision and experience, which as you should, he's not looking to solve someone else's problems. He's looking to blaze his own trails. And the Macquarie example, I don't know how many other people are out there like that. And obviously he's blessed by being a decent director himself, certainly, but also aided by the very best in assistant directors and storyboard artists and blah, blah, blah. But that if the franchise, if franchise filmmaking is television now, and just in the terms of the production, if not the overhead costs, it's going to have to start acting more like it. it and and it's a, I guess it's a tougher lesson for some franchises to learn, like Star Wars, like Bond. So if James Bond 25, Bond 25 has kind of taken a hit in the movie stock market over the last week or two, uh, one movie that is, is just an absolute rocket ship is Top Gun 2 which is not something that I needed in my life. Like you often say like, well, do we need this movie? Do we need this movie? I wasn't like, I really want to know what it, what the update is on, on Pete Mitchell and what's going on for these guys. Uh, I need to return to Miramar. Um, and then they cast Miles Teller and Glenn Powell as the new generation of pilots. And I was like, you have my attention. And then they padded out with the Bruckheimer supporting actor all-stars, namely Ed Harris and John Hamm. But yo. And, along with Jennifer Connelly and Val Kilmer, who's reprising his role as Iceman. Let's also give a shout out to the god Lawrence from Insecure, Jay Ellis, who's going to be in the trainee class, and Bashir Salhuddin, who I think is just fantastic on GLOW. Like, this is a legit cast. Yeah. This is a legit, exciting cast. And Thomas cast. and McKenzie, who's in that movie, um, who's in the Deborah Granick movie that was just, Leave No Trace. So it's like, they actually weirdly just have this incredible all-star team for this movie that uh, seems sort of silly. It seems silly, but, you know, here's the thing. I, I, again, the, the, the whiplash we've all felt culturally about Tom Cruise is worth noting. Like, considering, you know, post-couch jumping where he was and the way people were talking about him. And then this sort of new version that has emerged. And by the way, I think there's only ever been one version, but the version that's, that's been promoted by the success of the Top Gun, uh, sorry, of the uh, Mission Impossible movies. And even as referenced in the Macquarie interview that I was just talking about is, look, this guy just wants to please us. He just wants to entertain us. And he does have a sense of how to do that clearly better than most um, filmmakers. And if he really felt that this was the movie to make and this was the script that captured it, I'm kind of inclined to believe him. Because while he does need franchises that make sense for him, he has Mission Impossible. You know, he has other options and he must think this is a good one. And I'm kind of suddenly more optimistic about it. It seems like they're putting it together in a sense. I can't believe I'm saying, a, you know, this is a $200 million sequel to a 30 year old movie, but it seems about sort of Navy sensible. fighter pilots. Yeah, for is sure. That, is that because it, it also seems to have a sense of fun and seems to understand like this isn't the same this isn't, um, th here's what I'm going to say about it. It doesn't seem like necessarily a sequel to the actual movie Top Gun. It seems like a sequel to Quentin Tarantino's monologue about Top Gun. Yeah, I know. From, what was that, Destiny Turns on the Radio or whatever movie he was in in the 90s? Like, it's a sequel to the way we talk about Top Gun. 
which sure, let's do it. Why not? I also just want to point out that I do not feel like Tom Cruise has actually been challenged in a movie other than Vanessa Kirby and Fallout briefly for like two scenes. He has not been consistently challenged in a movie by another actor since Edge of Tomorrow. Um, so I'm excited to see him sharing the screen with two guys who are obviously trying to become movie stars. Miles Teller arguably is one, but has had like some ups and downs. And Glenn Powell, who is clearly on like a pretty, pretty uh, skyrocketing trajectory. And then all these other folks who were in the movie too as well. And also like John Hamm and Ed Harris are not going to take plays off probably. So I'm really curious to see Tom Cruise in like some scenes, you know, and doing some, even if it's about fighter pilots, I want to see him up against a Ham or a Harris. Look, I mean, because look, if it's about fighter pilots and like Glengarry Glenn Ross is about real estate, like everything's about something. I completely agree with you. Like, let's, 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 let's see him get pushed around and challenged a little bit. I think it was noteworthy to say, and obviously we're putting a lot into just some like casting announcements and a post teaser poster. Welcome to late but, August. Exactly. I, but I, I do think it says a lot that that this is a guy who anytime he has been um, not just challenged in performance, but basically been put set up in a position in a movie where he's going to be supplanted in the movie. And we often talk about Jeremy Renner's completely bizarre spun around role in Ghost Protocol. Whenever that's happened, Cruz has just been threatened like an alpha and bested his opponent. This movie is about him passing the torch to some degree, right? To the Miles Teller character. Mm -hmm. And we all knew that going in. He knew that going in. He was part of the casting process. Long, the great then, history of Tom Cruise passing the torch. But yo, then they doubled down and cast Glenn Powell, who was the runner-up to Miles Teller, in an unknown part. So whether they boosted a part that was already in there or just added a part to the script, now it's two to one, if not three to one, with Jay Ellis and those other dudes in there. We'll see, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how he responds. All right, before we break, do you want to have a couple of, uh, any any words about the most recent episode of Saul? Uh, just that it's, you know, it, it, I'm truly enjoying this show. And I think that was the takeaway from anyone who heard us wax about it on on, on Monday. Um, I think that we, we picked a fun day to talk about how crucial Michael Mando is to the show, considering mm -hmm. what the show put him through. Um, my only other feeling about it is that it's not even a feeling. It's just like, it does feel like we're getting to the part of the set list where they're going to start playing the hits. Yeah. They are, I was, this is, uh, when this they, is not hard for them to, when they to tell, do the drug stuff. When the guy tells uh, Gus, you need to find a local supplier. I was like, wait a second. Like we would have had a little bit more of a heads up. Right. And <laughs> yeah. you know, obviously it wound up being uh, another character from breaking bad. I don't really want to spoil it, but uh, I thought that the opening sequence of this episode uh, was the was the calling card for this show. Like, if somebody was like, "Why should I watch Better Call Saul?" I was I would say like, check out the uh, check out these guys making a forensic, you know, setting up a crime scene and and basically making Nacho take two bullets to sell the the false the falsehood. Yeah, uh, and sprinkling the car glass and lighting up that car with bullets and everything. I just thought that was like so precise, even down to the granular shots of the of the pavement of the highway. I just thought, man, these guys just know this world it's down to like the micro microscopic level. When I came around on Ozark, which is immortalized in a, I don't know if it's famous, but it's certainly well-liked by us clip uh, that's floating around on the YouTube. Um, one of the reasons that I was, sucked back into it or sucked into it is that just 
the breathtaking pace of the pilot, which, you know, as we said at the time, feels like three or four seasons of Breaking Bad in 25 minutes. And I love the ballsiness of that. And I love the exhilaration of that. But look, there is still something to be said for showing your work and going step by step. And the, 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 the pleasure that the filmmakers take in, in articulating that for us and just the thought that goes into every step, as you said, it's, it, is, it is the rare show where it is very, very fun to watch the sausage being made, as opposed to Ozark, I guess, in this analogy, which is just pure Chicago sausage. That's right. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll come back and answer some of your questions in a mailbag. Over the last few weeks, I've gone in and out of love with my beard. Uh, a lot of my coworkers have commented on it. Keith Fujimoto is sitting here with me. He was like, you got to grow it. Zach Mack was like, you got to grow it. But it just gets too itchy in L.A. in, in August. I just can't, I can't hack it. So when that happens, I hack it off with my Gillette Mach 3. Gillette offers a variety of shaving products for every guy, regardless of his personal style, skin needs, or budget. You're growing a beard, you're losing your beard, you got sensitive skin, you got skin like a leather horse saddle, doesn't matter. And whether you want three blades or five, the Gillette 3 and Gillette 5 razors have you covered all under $10. That's high performance at a low price. Get Gillette Performance delivered to your door and find Gillette 5 at GilletteOnDemand.com. Subscribe today. You've got mail. Okay, Andy, uh, our listeners sent us some questions. That's so nice of them. I really appreciate whenever they, whenever we do these because it's actually like sometimes Andy and I run out of ways to say the same thing, and you guys ask us great questions. Um, <laughs> don't, 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 don't admit it. Well, no, I mean, I don't mean like we like. I just, you know, we're just like hitting us, hitting some topics, and then these guys are like talk about Wu Tang Clan, and I'm like, thanks for asking. Yeah, uh, talk about that. TMB John, this is on Twitter. And this ties into our just discussion of the last show. We just talked about bringing Better Call Saul. Following your rediscovery of Better Call Saul, what other concepts for spinoffs of the Mount Rushmore of peak TV would you like to see? Oh, yes. Well, I feel like we've answered this in various permutations, and I haven't really changed my thoughts my thoughts, maybe we could update a little bit because yeah, I mean, Coach you know, and Tammy living in Philly is still probably the one that we hold the, the brightest candle for, right? The, the Coach and Tammy living in Philly post Friday Night Lights is a huge one because we're sort of picturing the most blissful family scenes between them mixed with the, the ATV run in Creed. And yeah. I feel like that, that, that's just hits all of our pleasure zones. I, I still really like the idea of a Mad Men sequel set in the like, downtown 81 Warhol Basquiat punk rock era of New York. Uh But I have to say the deuce, which is returning soon set in 1977 in season two is scratching a lot of that itch for me. I'm really enjoying watching it. Um, I have have a kind of one that I never would have thought of uh, just to ties right into what TMB John is asking here about Saul. I would not have said this a year ago. Uh, And I maybe I wouldn't have said this like three weeks ago before I really turned on the the Jets for Saul. I kind of want to know where Jesse went. You do, yeah. Wow. Like I was just thinking about like if these guys can take Saul and do this with it. What if we did like a road a road show with Jesse? Like where is he driving to? What happened to him? Where is he going? That's interesting to me. I guess... He has a similar trajectory to Saul, too, because he also 
is kind of always going to be looking over his shoulder for the rest of his life. Yeah, I guess for me, he's the for, he's kind of the least interesting character at the end of it and the one most deserving of a punctuation mark because he was so tormented and kind of had the full attempt at redemption arc so many times. And then I was remembering what actually happened to him in the last season and how hard he fought to get out from Walt's thumb. And in fact, you know, pulling a full Michael Cohen to Hank yeah. and, uh, you know, and just getting punished again and again for it, that the degree to which he was punished, I mean, including remember what Todd did to his girlfriend. I mean, it was brutal at the end when he was caged and cooking. And so the last look on his face is better, I think, than anything else that could have come after it. But what about, I mean, I'm also trying to think what is, have we updated Mount Rushmore? Because obviously like you look at the Sopranos, which is right up there and the Sopranos, David Chase himself is making the prequel. He's making a film about Tony Soprano's father in the old days. Um, we've talked about Breaking Bad. We've talked about Mad Men. We've talked about Friday Night Lights. Like what else is out there in terms of shows that we've, we consider to be that great? Um, from the last few years, I'm, I'm kind of blanking. Like the, the, the Rushmore is kind of set and I don't know how much more I want of those specific shows. Well, also we are in an era now where nothing ever, no one, nothing ever really dies. Right. So right. I obviously had a tremendous amount of affection for true detective season one, which seemed like a one-off. And then they came back with that and they're going to come back with that again. They're doing a second up season of big little lies. Like a and, lot and of the thing, a lot of the things that we back, think, Oh, what's that? Deadwood is coming back now. Yeah, fine. absolutely. So it's like, I think that that's sort of changed the calculus here because you're now, you're now in an era where if the, the money is right and the interest is there, Veronica Mars coming back again. You know, I, and I love Veronica Mars. I'm, I'm never going to say no to that show. But it's, I don't know if we really need spinoffs for shows when there's a constant uh, mining of, of, that, of that content. Yeah, it's a good point. Although I would be curious if we're if if for listeners, if there's shows that we've talked about or that you've been passionate about that you feel there's just a story that's still to be told. Um, just be careful uh, because someone might snap it up and make the show. Uh, Timmy Lynchicum wants to know what is what current show is the TJ McConnell of television? Now, for non Sixers uh, fans, non Philadelphia 76ers fans, TJ McConnell is basically a cult hero who is the guy who probably didn't have like a real shot until he did. He's like a short white point guard who is 110% effort all the time. And then it went from beyond this like cool Rudy story to him just being actually really good. Uh, this is a really complicated question, not because I'm looking for the short white point guard of television, but I'm looking for the show that you know, you maybe had like a bit of affection for because you liked an actor on it or you liked, uh, maybe the concept was cool, but like, you're like, I'm not really going to watch this. And then against your better judgment, it became like, oh, this is like good. It's a little, I mean, this is a surprising candidate for the undersized white point guard of television, but because of our recent conversation about it, I'm drawn to saying insecure. <laughs> only because, not just for the the, the, the cognitive dissonance yeah. that I put in the mind of everyone, but because that was a show that I think I, the ceiling got much bigger than than I think I certainly I expected. You know, I enjoyed it when it debuted. I was impressed by it, but I didn't expect it to be able to go to the places that it's gone or reach the audience that it has. And it's scrappy and it's beloved. I like it. That's a good answer. Thanks, um, 
Mike J. Fox 58 wants to know, why do you think the talk show format isn't working for Netflix? Or the question, can OTTs ever be a place for weekly appointment viewing? And I'd like to bundle this question in this mm-hmm. tradition of, of modern media parlance. And, and then uh, Jared Foley on Twitter also asked, on the topic of Netflix binging versus weekly appointment viewing, don't you think Hulu might have the best model dropping two or three a week? Hard to pick just one favorite and different shows lend to different models, but Hulu seems like the happy medium. So I think we've sort of touched on this before where it's like, we really like the Hulu model. They probably just need slightly better shows. Yes. Uh, but it's worth having like a quick kind of refresher conversation about Michelle Wolf's been canceled. Joel McHale's been canceled on Netflix. They're obviously not going to stop making these kinds of shows. Hassan Minaj has a show coming on Netflix in just a couple of months. But it's this complication of if you are not working from a position of, of leverage, whether it's like I'm doing Sports Center so I can be Scott Van Pelt and try some stuff at Late Night Sports Center, but essentially people are going to turn me on when they get home from the bar to watch highlights. Or you're the Tonight Show or you're filling David Letterman's spot or you're Kimmel. What are you... How do you make inroads? And, you know, you and I are both fans of Jesus and Mero who have moved to Showtime now, but I think you and I are both fans of Jesus and Mero without actually watching Jesus and Mero. We just watch it on Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. So, I don't know. Personally, for me, I'm in a spot now where, like, it would have to be a pretty uh, extraordinary television show to get me to start making appointments to watch a talk show at night. Yeah, well, I also think, well, I think it's two questions. I mean, both changing tastes and changing expectations, which I think is what you just hit on. But also, it doesn't make sense to me on streamers. It just, it it doesn't make sense. I don't, when they signed uh, Chelsea Handler, I, I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Because why would we go to watch something topical at a place that is defined by its complete um, unstuckness in time? You know, it's just those are two different business models. And, you know, I, I think it's a huge shame, especially with Michelle Wolf, who I think is really funny. Um, but in a way, she was kind of throttled by being on Netflix. I mean, there's two ways to look at it. Either Netflix like pockets an exciting talent and pays her and lets her just go to work and they get they get the shine from having someone so talented working there. And then, you know, people can find the show or likely they might not. Or, um, it, you know, or. or she just shouldn't have been there bottled up behind not just the subscription wall, but behind the expectation wall. Um, I, I think that there are still things that make sense on linear television, that make sense on live television. You know, just anecdotally, like I'm, as people know, in a hotel for quite some time. And I've been watching uh, screeners or watching Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is on my laptop. But sometimes at the end of a day in the office, I have do, been doing something that I don't usually do at home, which is turning on the television set. Yeah. And I remember, oh, they're kind of, they're, you know, I don't mind watching a talk show. Or I don't mind watching, obviously I like watching sports, but I don't mind, you know what I used to like to watch? House Hunters International, man. And I don't watch it anymore because that is, for me, the ultimate, oh, look at that show. And that is a category of viewing for some people still, without without a doubt. Um, so there's like, I, the one thing I'd throw out there is that I don't know that the last two years, and for all we know, uh, Manafort and Cohen jokes aside, I don't know how much, you know, I don't know how much longer this is going to be our reality. It could be our permanent reality in some ways. But I don't think that the last two years are necessarily like the most accurate lens through which to view this, whether or not a show can be, a talk show could be successful on a streamer because mm-hmm. almost any talk show now 
has to orient itself around Trump as a as the sun on you know on on which it orbits, mm-hmm. you know, uh, around which it orbits. So I'm trying to think like, you know, like Gethard is going off the air. I don't even know. Do they still make Eric Andre? Do they still make Eric uh, Andre? No. I think they probably would if you wanted to, but I don't think they're new. It's kind of like whatever, right? But even in that case, I mean, that's that show is so out there that only is so many people are going to be able to take it in. Um, Michelle but, Wolf, but, all these shows are going to have to be like, they're competing with so many other people who are also talking about Trump. And then most people, I think, throughout their day are at least ambiently, if not obsessed with, uh, ambiently aware with, about, if not obsessed with what's going on in the news all day. So it's not like when you used to go to work come home, watch some TV for a couple hours, and then catch the monologue of Leno or Letterman, and it would be like these sort of curious observations about everyday life with some Clinton stuff sprinkled in or some Bush stuff sprinkled in. Like, this is like what people are pretty much ingesting all day long, and I think it screws up, like, the amount of interest people have in a talk show at night. But it also has elevated John Oliver. It has elevated Trevor Noah. It's elevated Colbert. Certainly. Sure. I think it's worth noting that two, two talk shows that have recently been ordered, one is closer to actually happening, one I think they're just sort of going to test out, is uh, Busy Phillips is having a talk show and Nisi Nash. And though both, I would love to hear their opinions on the current state of the world. My guess is that that's not the angle that those shows are going to take, which is a sign of going the other direction. And I think in general, though, it's we know that Netflix is coming to eat the soul of linear television. Like they want to have all of it. They want to have... Um, you know, they want to steal the cooking shows from Food Network. They want to steal the talk shows, or at least they did. They want to steal the um, procedurals from broadcast television. They've stolen Shonda Rhimes and Kenya Barris. Um, we know that. But linear live TV still has the ability to tune in just the way we're still used to it. Maybe we're one of the last generations to be used to this. But to see on a human level our, our friends on TV. Now, I'm not saying they really are our friends, but there's that human connection that I think is harder to feel when you're watching something that you know has been available for 12 hours and will continue to be available for the next 9,000 hours. So I was thinking about that. When I think about that, I was thinking also of this piece that Vulture ran this week where they're sort of interviewing television executives anonymously about their thoughts of the upcoming Emmy Awards. And one of the categories they asked about is the talk show variety. And it's, you know, it's usually it's the, the dudes plus Samantha B nominated. And a bunch of people said that this was Jimmy Kimmel's year and obviously, you know, Jimmy Kimmel is a friend of The Ringer, a friend of Bill, whatever. But I, I'm singling him out because the reason everybody was saying that it's his year was because they were saying, well, what a great broadcaster he's become. You know, not just talking about politics aside, talking about his own personal um, situations with the health of his son, hosting the Oscars, becoming that guy that traditionally people like to end the day with. Now, of course, I'm sure he's talking about Trump all the time. They all are. But that human level is still appealing. And I think that will survive and thrive even after if we survive this particular moment. Uh, Fun question here that we ordinarily don't really get a chance to talk about, but the theater, but we mention it from time to time. Uh, But uh, Christian Christian Bohem asks, occasionally you guys let some possible former theater dorkery slip out. Is there anything you've seen on stage, classic or contemporary that you'd like to see adapted for the screen? Uh, And a follow-up, is now the time for those fatigued by comic comic book movies to go back to the theater. I think it's always great to go to the theater. It's one of those transporting experiences that when it clicks, it can be completely like, you know, 
mesmerizing and, and and you find yourself floating out of your body when you're in a in a room watching people perform like that. I've always kind of wanted to see what someone could do with uh Tom Stoppard's Arcadia. Um oh, which I don't believe was ever uh adapted for screen. No. But um would be very challenging and very complicated. Even some of the people who were in it aren't sure exactly what happens or what it's about. Oh, but did you ever place. have any that you were like, oh, I wish this would be made into a, a I, show or a movie? I was wondering if you might want to list some of the plays you saw me perform in during my <laughs> illustrious collegiate career <laughs> in which I just sort of played the you know assistant to the people who played the lead roles on the main stage for two or three years before quitting acting. Um, you know, not Bulgakov's flight, you know, that that one didn't motivate you or um, the time I played man in Howard Corder's boy's life. Uh, no, I mean, it's a it's a great question. But, you know, I think the trick with theater to to the, to the screen is because it is a performed medium, people often make the mistake that they, you know, it's success often don't make when they're adapting books, which is just having to understand on a visceral level that it's a different medium. and You can't just put a camera on it. You know, it's these are stories that are built to be happening in front of you immediately live. And it just isn't the same if you just roll tape. So all that as a wordy way to say, I, I have no idea. I mean, like everyone in America, I'm excited about the possibility of the one day bringing Hamilton to the screen in some form. But the reason they don't, you know, I think people know this, like the reason it takes years and years for a successful musical, for example, to be brought to the screen is because they they don't make those deals until after X number of touring productions have run. You know, they want to basically ring every, and I say this with love and respect for this show and the people behind it, they want to ring every possible ticket dollar out of it before they commit it to the screen, which probably means that all the great people who who you and I saw in, on, in Hamilton on Broadway, like Lin-Manuel Miranda and David Diggs and Leslie Odom, won't be in the film version, but that's okay. It maybe gives people time to think about what it could be. And I think those thoughts are the ones worth having. Like, okay, well, it's successful in this form. What could it be next? Yeah. All right, let's wrap up with a nice question here from Sentimental Robot, who wants to know, what's it like making a TV pilot? I think only one of us can answer this. Uh, they'd also like to know how many green chilies can one man eat in a week? Uh, and have you, are you going, they just basically are like, are you going through the traditional pilot process, pilot order shoot, yeah. then series? Um, you know, there was another question here from Hate Street Records about whether or not you were at all like worried about now that you're making something? Like, do you like have like a, in your mind, a, a like list of people who might not be into what you're doing? But I think we can skip that one. Oh, no, that's fine. I mean, look, you can't, there's always concern, you know, and, and, and like when I was writing articles, you could be, I'll just use we, like when we write articles or when we wrote articles for Grandland or you're writing for The Ringer, like you always have some concern about how things will be received, but you, the one muscle you definitely learn is you push that out of your head as quickly as possible. And I'm under no illusions about the fact that like a former critic making a TV show has a giant target painted on his back, but I'm getting yeah, I'm that. Yeah, I'm going to destroy that, you. But I'm getting that target covered over with a wolf tattoo, which is very easy to get here in New Mexico, by the way. Kendall was right. Um, it's, uh, yeah, so I'm, I, you know, I feel like I should be doing a better job making this more transparent. Um, this is a pilot order. USA ordered a pilot at Briar Patch. We're making the pilot here. It is, we're recording this on, what is it, Thursday the 23rd. Um, next week, we're doing the tech scout, which means we get in a van with everybody and we drive around every location 
And the next day we're having the cast is coming in and we're having a table read for the first time, which is going to be really exciting to hear everyone say the words. And then uh, after Labor Day, re rehearsals, hair and makeup tests. And then we start filming next month. And then we've got three weeks of shooting all around here. Um, because it's a pilot, we don't build anything. So there are no sets. Everything is on location. Um, and we will do our best and we'll shoot the hell out of it and uh, post and edit and everything and find out like around Thanksgiving if we get to make nine more, which is, of course, the goal. But I'll tell you, it's incredibly exciting. And it's so far, and maybe this is not everyone's experience, but it has been very much like the frog in the boiling water. You know, like it feels like a sauna for a while until you realize you're being cooked. Because so far, it's been really enjoyable. I mean, it's hectic. Uh, I would be lying if I said every role in the show was cast. <laughs> and we're shooting in two weeks. So I guess that really, but I've, you know, everyone warned me about that, that everything You know that I'm available to play set. multiple parts and that that's probably something that shows don't do enough is have one actor play like multiple roles. That's the way you want to bring the theater to the screen. And that you want to be- that's kind of a breaking be, case of emergency thing. Yeah, we know we have, like, maybe we take you for granted because we know we have your <laughs> gifts and the gifts inside of your, your performing toolbox, you know, and I do know, and I, other people have pointed out that a lot of your work for The Ringer of the last year has been one incredibly successful and long demo reel, you know? So we, we know that the problem is I just don't have the part. Yeah, exactly. No, for I know. You, I mean, you know? that's why I'm kind of holding out for Arcadia. I think that's right. I think you would be better served playing a, um, a you know, a classic scholar in England. Uh, I don't have a part for like an FBI profiler, unfortunately, but you know, there's always next season. Um, uh, I, I did. I have a question for you. Oh, wait, can I, can I say one other thing, though? That's the, like, so far, there's really only been one moment when I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Which was, you know, everything is considered. Everything is um, thought about and planned for and decided upon. Everything on the screen is the result of a decision. And I'm, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm incredibly lucky to have this visionary, badass Lily Amirpour directing it. But we, there's a bus in the background of one scene. It's just a bus. You know, no one's getting in. The, no one, none of our characters are getting in the bus. No one's driving the bus. This isn't Speed 3, although that would have been a better idea probably for a show. God damn it, Greenwald. Um, <laughs> Don't give away sorry. free ideas. <laughs> what, but so we said, we saw a picture of some buses and we said, well, this bus looks like the kind of bus that would be here. And the next day, someone came in my office and said, they brought the bus. And I said, excuse me? And I went out to the parking lot and uh, they had a bus on a flatbed truck. And they were like, here's the bus. What do you think of it? They just brought me a bus, dude. Dude, like, here's the thing. Can I just give you one suggestion? Yeah. You're a really nice guy. Yeah. But like every once in a while, you got to throw a personality curveball. So if they bring you yeah. a bus on a flat track, a flat flatbed truck, and they're like, what do you think of the bus? I don't, you didn't have to do it this show, but maybe one of these shows, you're just like, get this bus out of here. This isn't it. I think... Are I you think, kidding all, me? I would be lying if I didn't tell you it occurred to me. I do think it's important to keep people on their toes in the workplace. Would you bring <laughs> Kurt Sutter this bus? <laughs> maybe we should do a, you know, you and I weren't the biggest fans of Black Klansmen, but maybe we should do a thing where we both play Andy Greenwald, except <laughs> I play this sort of like accommodating Michael Cohen flipping guy. And you could just come in and just straight Manafort it. And just scream at people over the phone after the day. And everyone's like, boy, Andy's really changed in the two hours since we saw him in the office. Yeah, you should be like, hey, what do you think about this jacket for uh, for the, for Allegra? What do you, you, you like this? And be like, yeah, I'd like that. If hell was freezing over! 
Is that like a Macho Man Savage voice? <laughs> That's I didn't basically know were... the only voice work I know how to do. No, that was, I didn't know you had that in your toolbox. This is yet another audition. You're killing it. Today. Thanks, man. This is great stuff. All right, dude. Uh, let's wrap it up here. I think we'll probably catch up. I don't know, maybe Lund Lodge 49, maybe Castle Rock. You have, you have an assignment for the weekend you want to dole out to people? Uh, I have a lot of assignments for this weekend, but unfortunately I can't share They're them. all bus related. <laughs> They're all like deep bus related. As I frantically rewrite the script to include bus stunts. Okay. Uh, we'll be back on Monday to talk. And then uh, I think Thursday, yeah. And then going forward, I think Andy will be making... Uh, appearances only in a spectral fashion and maybe to yeah. call into uh, emergency um, appearances to talk about Better Call Saul developments and, and Top Gun 2 speed, casting announcements. Speed 3. Okay. Uh, Greenwald, have a lovely weekend. Don't eat too, too many chilies. Great job, Brad. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Gillette. Guys, as you know, I have been working on this facial hair situation. It's not going great. You know, I'm not going to lie, but I'm clean shaven now, and that's always a pleasure to go clean shaven because I got my Gillette Mach 3 razor. Gillette offers a variety of shaving products for every guy, regardless of his personal style, skin needs, or budget. If you shave once a day, if you shave once a week, you can't go wrong with Gillette. And whether you want three blades or five, the Gillette 3 and Gillette 5 razors have you covered. Also, their shaving creams are dynamite. They're the only ones I use. You can get that stuff, the Gillette 3 and Gillette 5 razors especially, you get for under 10 bucks. That's high performance at a low price. You get Gillette performance delivered to your door. And find Gillette 5 at GilletteOnDemand.com. Subscribe today. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you love scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, you'll love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool, top-rated hotels. And even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can also book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. It's easy. Book hotels in 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need.